Welcome to the Pilot Podcast, where we watch the pilot episodes of TV shows and answer your question, should I watch this? My name is BJ. And my name is Me Too. And this week, we're checking out Agatha Christie's The Pale Horse on Amazon Prime, Amazing Stories on Apple TV+, 000 on Amazon Prime, and Devs on Hulu. So stay tuned to the end to find out if BJ wrote a code to control the human genome. I would never tell people about that. Facts. In other news, let's start with a murder mystery with Agatha Christie's The Pale Horse on Amazon Prime. The Pale Horse is adapted from Agatha Christie's book, first published in 1961. The Pale Horse stars Rufus Sewell as Mark Easterbrook. He has the misfortune of learning that his name is on a list discovered in a dead woman's shoe. That woman is Jessie Davis, lots of mystery surrounding her. He's still recovering as well from the loss of his first wife, Delphine, played by Georgina Campbell, and we learn throughout the episode and series that Mark may be connected to the other names on the list, that his late wife may have visited the same place where Jesse died, and that supernatural elements may be at play. Investigating the case of Jesse's murder is Stanley Lejeune, played by Sean Pertwee. So, Me Too, you bring up an interesting point about the supernatural, and I think we should start with that. Yes. There are three mysterious women in this show who live in the town of Much Deeping, and they are giving fortunes to all these people who pass through the town. Now, what we don't know is, are they just your standard fortune tellers, you know, using smoke and mirrors to trick people? Or, as some other people believe, are they witches with supernatural abilities and actually predicting the future? Yes. Is there a supernatural connection between Delphine and Jesse Davis? Or were they just two unlucky women who were murdered? Multiple people. They're two of the many. True, true. Yeah, there is that whole list. So I believe there might be some supernatural element because these women seem very aware of what's going on. And what's really odd, all of the victims, so there's a whole list of people that were found in the shoe, they're all losing their hair. So they're either poisoned or cursed or both. I think they're cursed in the general sense of, ooh, your karma must be off if all of these things are happening to you. But what I love about Agatha Christie books, as you know, BJ, I love reading Agatha Christie. I actually had an Agatha Christie-themed birthday party when I turned 14 at a mystery dinner theater. Uh, none of my friends were exactly excited to be there, nor my family, but I was really happy. And uh, all that to say, Beach, if you could please take me to one. But one thing that's really great about her books is the fake-outs. So you're thinking the whole time you're being pulled along this path, following this red herring of, is there a supernatural element at play? Are these women fortune teller witches? Are there voodoo dolls that are taking out these people? And then it turns out that, like Scooby-Doo, you rip off the mask and it was your neighbor all along who was messing with the lights and getting dry eyes for smoke and things like that. So I believe that that will be the conclusion of the story, which will be quick to reach because this is a two-episode series that runs two full hours. So if we were to have watched the second episode, we would know. Yeah, two-part miniseries, more like a, a movie setup. Yes. And so you bring up another good point. What's the real answer to this mystery? We don't know yet from just watching the first episode. 
but everything seems to be related to our main character, Mark Easterbrook. So are you suggesting that maybe the murderer is someone that Mark knows or is Mark or someone close to Mark? I think the latter. I think it could be someone close to Mark, but honestly, I would put nothing above a wealthy man in a town where he's very successful. I bet he can get away with a lot. So could be him too. Maybe some combination. I don't believe he killed all of them because unless he's doing very good acting within the acting, if you will, he seemed so surprised at a couple of the folks that were found dead. That's what a murderer would do. You're right. Someone's dead? What? (laughs) There's been a murder. (laughs) So outside of Mark, we also have two interesting characters, a lot of women that kind of come second to Mark, unfortunately. But I think the highlights in this episode are his ex-wife, Delphine, and his current wife, Hermia. What did you think of them? So I thought that Delphine, again, played by Georgina Campbell, and Hermia, played by Kaya Scodelario, were both great on the show. I honestly cared more about them than I did Mark. And I hope that in the second episode, we get to delve into them a little bit more. Because like you said, it focuses more on Mark, but the more interesting story is with the women. It's what is the mystery around Jesse? What is the mystery around these women who are fortune teller, witches, or con people? What is the mystery around Delphine's death? What's Hermia's game? Because there is something brewing under the surface there. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I just remember the scene, listeners. You'll know it when you see it. Hermia plays the role of the perfect housewife, but even she has her limits. Which the perfect housewife always is a red herring for. She's wild. There is a series of Lifetime movies that are called Perfect Something. So you know that that person is actually imperfect and probably a killer. Like Perfect Stepmom, Perfect Babysitter, Perfect Tutor. You you need to check out the Perfect series. Is this a franchise that you watch? (laughs) the perfect series (laughs) i don't know if it's a franchise i don't know how it works i just know that when i'm flipping channels and i see perfect in front of a job title or family title on lifetime it's gonna be good and i'm gonna tune in so stay tuned for the perfect podcaster is that you are you trying to kill me why can't it be you you're like mark who got murdered yeah what (laughs) what (laughs) he turns into scooby All right, Beach. So I think we've exhausted the mysteries of the Pale Horse. So the last mystery left to uncover is what your rating is for the show. Would I watch the second and final episode to solve the mystery? Yes. (laughs) And the answer is yes. I'm halfway through it. Let's go back to the town of Much Deeping, find out what these witches are up to. And I want some resolution for Delphine and Hermia. Much less Mark, but at least the other Easterbrooks. That's fair. I honestly am not interested enough to watch the second episode. I think I would just read a recap of it to know because like you, I care about what happened to Delphine and what's going to happen with Hermia. Honestly, I'd recommend to our listeners, if you're looking for a fun whodunit, check out any Agatha Christie book and watch Knives Out, which is a great whodunit movie that came out last year if you haven't seen it yet. So let's switch from Mysterious Witches to mysterious seller time travel machines. All right, Beach, tell us what happened in Apple TV's Amazing Stories. Sure. 
So Amazing Stories is a new anthology series that's actually based off of Steven Spielberg's 1985 television series of the same name, which is based off of a magazine of the same name. And the whole concept is Steven Spielberg is trying to transport the audience to worlds of wonder through the lens of today's most imaginative filmmakers, directors, and writers. And so this first episode is actually a self-contained story, and that's what the whole series is going to be. So we start off with The Cellar, and this is a story about an Iowa farmhouse where Sam and his brother are there renovating the home, and Sam discovers that the storm cellar in the basement is actually a time portal that he can use to travel to the year 1919, and they are set in the year 2019. So Sam, played by Dylan O'Brien, who you might know from Maze Runner or Teen Wolf, is going on this adventure where he can travel back and forth through time and ends up in a love story. What did you think of the idea of using time travel to tell a love story? It's been done before, so (laughs) it reminded me of a lot of stories we've seen about this, and I thought that Amazing Stories did a nice job of it, of telling the story of Sam falling in love with Evelyn, played by Victoria Pedretti. But because she is set in 1919, she's a modern woman. Sam is her speed because although her immune system is not up for it, she is ready to be able to wear pants, listen to live music, and not be looked down upon because she's a woman. So they're evenly matched. So I think it's cute that someone from 100 years ahead of her is her even match. But we've seen this story played many times, and I think that Amazing Stories didn't bring us a particularly unique take on it, nor did it do it so well that it's fine that it's within the, that it sits so comfortably within genre. Hmm. Did you think the love story was relatable with Sam kind of being overwhelmed with all his choices in the year 2019? and liking the simpler lifestyle of 1919? I think the unspoken part of the show is that (laughs) you or I could not travel to 1919 (laughs) and fall in love with Evelyn and lead comfortable lives. We would be treated quite differently. Even if the roles were reversed and Evelyn was from 2019, it wouldn't have worked as well for her. I do agree that Sam was overwhelmed by his choice. And Aziz Ansari's book, Modern Love, talks about this, where millennials, which this show does a strange job of depicting millennials, but we are overwhelmed with choice. You go on Yelp and you look for hours to find the restaurant that you want to eat at if you want the best tacos in your neighborhood or whatever. Or you go on Tinder and you swipe and you swipe and you swipe. And so Aziz Ansari talks about this, the overwhelming nature of choice versus Even 50 years ago, 60 years ago, you just married people in your neighborhood. And now that we don't live where we're from and we have this huge amount of choices, finding love and finding just stability in whatever form that that comes takes a little bit longer. So I thought that was an interesting take that Sam was calmer in 1919. Do you remember the special episodes of TV shows where, like on Proud Family, Penny Proud had to do a Black History Month project and she you know, hit her head and thought that she woke up in 1955 and she was like, whoa, this is what life was like during the civil rights era. Mm-hmm. 
it reminded me of one of those movies that your teacher or your substitute teacher would wheel in when they were ready to phone it in for 45 minutes. You know, I'm talking oh. about like they wheel the, te- the, the television into the classroom, not to date us. So speaking of interesting portrayals of concepts, going from millennials back to the time travel troupe, what did you think of the rules that they established where you need this super bad storm called a derecho to happen that will drop the pressure and then somehow that pressure change in the cellar will send you through time? This actually leads me to some questions you and I had for the show, which maybe we can close our review with this. Mm Mm-hmm. You mentioned this. How did he go into the cellar, accidentally get transported in time in the storm, but now, as soon as he's transported once, knows how to play the barometer perfectly to use it as a time travel tool, knows how to track the sun in order to determine when the storm is coming next, can track time comfortably, telling Evelyn, oh, soon, soon, soon we'll be able to (laughs) leap at just the right moment to start our lives together in 2019. It's very confusing how he's able to control when he jumps through time. Because the first time it just seemed like he was in the basement, wrong time, wrong place. Yes. Got transported. After that, it's intentional. And it's a little unclear how the rules work because he always travels back, I guess, like right to when he left so he can pick up his relationship with Evelyn. Because he... This isn't a spoiler, listeners, but he does travel back and forth multiple times. It's like Alice in Wonderland, the TV show, where she can just step through that mirror whenever she wants. Mm -hmm. Also, I want to say, maybe not a question, just a a statement, like a a man at a panel discussion was like, this is more of a comment than a question. I feel sorry for Jake. His brother Jake, played by Micah Stock, just wants to go into business with his brother. They renovate homes, which is why Sam finds himself in that basement. He just wants to put their money together, buy fixer-uppers, and start a nice business so he can support his family because he has a baby and a partner. Yeah, he just adopted a kid and wants a stable life. So why leave your brother hanging out to dry if you're Sam? Is that how great his love is for Evelyn, that he's willing to risk Jake? Yes. They are saying that their love is so strong that Sam is willing to give up his life in 2019 And Evelyn is willing to give up her life in 1919 so they can be together wherever, whenever. Last thought, BJ. Can you explain what would happen to Evelyn if she actually showed up in 2019 from 1919, health-wise, as our resident PhD scientist? As we've discussed off camera, she has a lot of legal issues she'd have to resolve. Of course. Considering she is born and dead in the (laughs) U.S. (laughs) She also has to deal with a whole new slew of diseases. They even reference that Evelyn's fiance's previous wife died of the flu. What a timely tale. Evelyn is a high-risk patient for the seasonal flu. The cold we have now is different. She might not have had chicken pox yet, measles, hepatitis. You know, everything our little babies get vaccinated for, she's not prepared. She might even get polio. She might get polio. I didn't even think about that. Wow. And don't take her to somewhere where they still have smallpox. So me too. What would you rate Amazing Stories on Apple TV Plus? Amazing Stories is cute. So if you're looking for an anthology series that is good for the whole family, truly substitute teacher popping in the tape, 
energy, then go for it. But if you want, I would say, a better version of these stories, I would watch OG Twilight Zone episodes. I would watch Doctor Who, specifically the episode called The Girl in the Fireplace, which is basically this story, but I think told better. Or even watch the movie Big Fish, which is a great representation of tall tales and supernatural elements mixed in with real life. So that's my rating. Beach, what would you recommend to our listeners? I would recommend they give it a shot. So I guess I would watch again casually for one more episode. Since this is an anthology series where they're telling lots of different stories, kind of like when we watched Modern Love, there might be episodes that don't work for you. So this might not be a series that you're going to watch completely, but there could be episodes you kind of want to dip in for to see what that amazing story is. That's true. I did see a review that said, these are the episodes worth watching in Amazing Stories. So maybe look for reviews like that to see which summaries pique your interest. Yeah, it has potential. So uh, moving on from Amazing Stories, let's go to some dark stories involving people in the world of drug dealing. I think you're talking about Amazon's 000 which was adapted by the book of the same name written by Robert Saviano. And this show focuses on the drug trade between three crime syndicates based in Mexico, Italy, and the U.S. The head of the Italian syndicate is Don Minu, played by Adriano Chiaramida. And he is hoping for the big bet of buying a ton of drugs from Mexico in order to secure his position as the top crime lord in his area. In Mexico, they're also making a big bet on this shipment. And then the broker between those groups is a New Orleans-based shipping family, the Linwoods, led by Patriarch Edward, who is played by Gabriel Byrne. Beach, what did you think about this cross-country drug trade tale? I thought it was pretty exciting. It was kind of a slow start at first, because there's a lot going on. There's subtitles, lots of different characters and family members to learn about. But I think what really hooked me is that you end up seeing the same story from the perspective of the buyers, sellers, and brokers. And so this whole first episode, we're seeing the same events play out from their own side of the story. Yes, it's so interesting that For each of the families, this is their big bet. So it's funny that because it's the drug trade, you can't speak transparently. But honestly, if they had just done a three-way call and been like, we all need this, there would be no conflict. They would comfortably sell the drugs from Mexico through the Louisiana-based shipping containers to Italy. But because it's subterfuge and drug trade and power struggles, they can't be explicit about that, that they need this deal to go down for their power and their money. Yeah. And you really see that highlighted as we see each group in the story, because you can see how they have their own people secretly working on missions against each other, or you can see internal conflicts that are actually affecting other parties that they're unaware of. And like you said, if we all just sat down to have a conversation, which they tried to do a little bit at the end, but if they really just got everyone together at the same table, 
They can work out this 30 to $70 million deal. No problem. If you've ever watched Living Single, there's a character named Sinclair James, played by Kim Coles. And she does this thing where she tells people to calm down. She'll go, woo, 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 to just chill you out. And they needed a Sinclair James type to sit with them, maybe in a trust circle, and everyone just, just breathe out. And now let's open up and talk about how we all need this. And then once the minds are open, maybe you could do some critical thinking about the fact that these other families aren't trying to mess you up. It's your own family because there is quite a bit, like you alluded to, BJ, of sneaking within everyone's syndicates. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about your favorite family? Yes. So the most interesting family to me was the Linwood family because they're the ones based in New Orleans. They are the middle ground between Mexico and Italy. And I think what's most interesting there is Edward is the head of the family, but Emma, played by Andrea Riseborough, is really the mind of it. She's his eldest daughter, and she's definitely in a position to take over the shipping company. And the dynamics between the two of them are interesting because she pushes her father to go straight, and he explains to her that all of their money was basically tied up in drugs and that they wouldn't be the fulfillionaires that they are if they just were successful shippers. And the other dynamic that I think is really interesting there is the youngest brother, Chris, played by Dane DeHaan, whom they both underestimate tremendously because he has Huntington's disease, because he doesn't have their, let's say, killer instinct or obvious killer instinct. He's left to his own devices. And I think that there is some stuff happening with him that is teased a little bit in the show that actually poses a threat that they are absolutely not paying attention to because they're so wrapped up in each other and comfortably dismissing him. I agree. This series is all about paying attention to your family members and not underestimating them. That's why I'm actually a fan of the Italian family, the buyers, Mm -hmm. and specifically Stefano's storyline, where he is a member of the group, but he's kind of trying to take control from his grandfather. And he wants that power. And we see everything he's willing to do. You know, he puts his son to bed, kisses his wife goodnight. And next thing we know, he's feeding a body to pigs. That was a jarring scene. Because I was like, what are those pigs snacking on? It took me a (laughs) while to connect the dots. (laughs) Oof, that was gross. But not so gross. I want to say that the show is beautifully shot. It was shot on location in Italy, in Morocco, in Senegal, in Mexico. So it's just these gorgeous sweeping shots of incredible locations. Yeah. And what's really great is they use the native language in each location. Which was very cool. Yeah. I mean, it just makes sense. Versus when a show is set in a certain time and space and people just have British accents. I think that's just the default for a cool accent. True. All right, Beach. Why don't you be cool and tell us your rating for Amazon's 000? So I am going to rate 000. This is tough. Maybe would not watch again. Oof, okay. The story setup and the way they're telling it kind of uh, in a nonlinear fashion was interesting. The family conflicts were interesting, but for me, shows about drug trade 
just don't really scratch that itch. I agree. I'm not super interested in drug content, but if you like Breaking Bad, if you like The Wire, if you like Narcos, and you're looking for your next drug trade-related show, I think you'll like this one too. It's just such a beautiful show. And like BJ said, it is very interesting the way that every family is going through essentially the same thing, but from starkly different perspectives and cultural backgrounds too. So still in the sneaky world, but now we're going to Silicon Valley and tech. We watched Devs on Hulu. Beach, do you want to give a breakdown of that? Sure. So Devs is a new drama thriller miniseries, and this is part of the FX on Hulu project where FX is doing series that are exclusively distributed on Hulu. And we're following a computer engineer, Lily Chan, played by Sonoya Mizuno. And she's starting to investigate a quantum computing company called Amaya. And this is also where her boyfriend, Sergey, works as an engine software engineer as well. And this company is run by the CEO, Forrest, played by Nick Offerman. And we also meet some other players at Amaya, like Katie, played by Allison Pill. And the whole idea is that Sergey gets a promotion and he's put on a team called the Devs. And they are working on a super top secret quantum computing related project for the company Amaya. And now Lily needs to do some investigating to find out what is Amaya up to? What did you think of this story and the adventure that Lily is about to head down? My first question about the story is Nick Offerman as the CEO. Mm -hmm. There's a man who is experiencing homelessness at the beginning of the show. And I genuinely thought that that was Nick Offerman's CEO character, because when we saw him, they looked very similar. Mm -hmm. And Nick Offerman is very against type in this role as this hippie, long hair, lulling you into a sense of comfort character. And it was hard for me to buy him as a tricky CEO of a potentially nefarious tech company. Do you think they intentionally positioned him that way so that you're lulled into a sense of comfort and you underestimate the evil he might be capable of? No, I think they just like Nick Offerman and that he wanted the challenge of being a sophisticated, intelligent tech guy. Okay. Unfortunately, the cultural perception of these tech guys is your Mark Zuckerberg or your Bill Gates or your Jack Dorsey, and he does not fit that look. And so I think it's just him really trying to push his acting ability to be convincing as that tech expert. Because conversely, he reminded me of the tech folks that go to Burning Man. Yeah, there are definitely hippie type tech people. And maybe it's just because of previous roles we've seen Nick Offerman in. But it wasn't very... Nothing about his acting was unconvincing. But it's just him in that role is uh, hard to buy. Takes you out a little bit. Mm -hmm. Overall, I thought the intrigue was interesting. So Sergey, played by Carl Glusman, is so you sort of fall in love with him pretty quickly. He is so earnest in his care for his girlfriend Lily. He literally cries when he learns he gets a promotion at his job. So they pull you into him, I think, easily and quickly. I also think that you immediately start rooting for Lily because there is an earnestness there, again, in her relationship with Sergey, And you root for her because she is 
fun and funny and intelligent. You see her play this like math game with her team and you find her charming and funny. So I thought that the show set the tone for the characters that you care about, the characters that you should be wary of, and the mystery at hand. That's for sure. You're interested in all three of those things, I think. Yeah, they really set up a nice world for you to kind of pursue this mystery with Lily. It is a very strange world, though. We were discussing some odd choices, like the giant statue on Amaya's campus. Of Amaya, whom we learn is the CEO's daughter. Yeah. It's like so tall. First of all, it's strange that this company is in the middle of the woods. And this statue is so tall, her head stands above all the trees. I couldn't tell if that was supposed to be an elephant in the room motif. A literal elephant. (laughs) Yes, I couldn't tell if it was supposed to be off-putting and it gets you off kilter. Kind of like when we watched Dispatches from Elsewhere and the show starts with the narrator staring at you in silence for 10 seconds. I thought, okay, am I supposed to be put off my game intentionally to fall into this world a little bit more? I think one of the things we learned from this pilot is this show asks a lot of questions. Things can go different directions and they are not ready to answer it. Like the whole idea of, are they trying to make commentaries on where technology is going, especially using quantum computing? Or is this just more a philosophical question about choices in life? Are things random or is it all deterministic? True. There was the multiverse theory versus determinism versus tech company themes happening there. And then other questions for the show. Why would you take a job that you can only reach by walking through a forest, a densely packed forest? Through super tight security. And then when Sergey gets to the devs department, which is what we're talking about, it's in a basement. Mm -hmm. And then... Sergey asks, what do we do here? And the CEO goes, just play around. You'll figure it out. Some people work weekends. Some people work nights. Come and go as you please. Would that not set off red flags for you? The real red flag was when he said, this is an open office, no bags, no passwords, no closed doors. And Sergey goes to the bathroom. Did you notice that bathroom stall with the toilet did not have a door? Yes, I certainly did notice that. That would have been enough for me to leave. Yeah, that's true. I could see you about face in the bathroom walking out like, oh, it's been real, y'all. Thank you so much. Then that security guy would have had to tackle you as you tried to walk out of there. Yeah, I can hold it for eight hours, but I don't trust any of y'all can. And I'm not about to be here for that. Actually, that's another character I want to shout out. Kenton is the chief of security played by Zach Grenier, and he's great in that role. Very creepy, made me very uncomfortable. Yeah. And then I guess the final question, what do you think the devs are developing? There's this code that Sergey was looking at, and Katie is also working on it. And Sergey says, this code could literally change everything. But Katie says, it changes absolutely nothing. Because of determinism? I don't know. I think that the code is controlling human behavior, but I'm not sure how. Ooh, so kind of alluding to the software that Sergey was developing that could predict a nematode's movement for 30 seconds, but then it like got out of sync. Yeah. So this is a better version of that. I think because they saw him do that code, they thought, okay, he's comfortable with manipulating the rules of society, if you will, 
through technology, and that's what qualifies him to join the devs, where we're actually light years ahead of his code, and he'll just fall in. I see. What if I told you your life was just my code? Then thanks, because it's been a nice ride. You're welcome. I'm blue pill all the way. Is that the one in the Matrix that everything goes back to normal? I don't know, but you want to live in the Matrix and not know you're there. Oh, yes. 100%. Well, now we know which side you're on. How do you feel about devs on Hulu? I would watch again casually. I think it's an interesting story. I'm not super into sci-fi or technology, but I am curious enough about Lily's pursuit of the mystery around devs, Amaya, and Sergey that I root for her enough to watch more episodes to see how she does. And I would recommend the same to our non-sci-fi techie people. Though, again, better sci-fi shows out there. Happy to recommend those. Just email us at askthepilotpodcast at gmail.com. Beach, what do you think? I think it is a quality sci-fi series in terms of the techie techie talk talk, as you say. This did a good <laughs> job. They clearly had some writers at least consult some quantum physicists so that what they were saying makes sense. But you know, it didn't click with me for some reason. So while it is exciting and the visuals are really amazing, I don't think I'm going to watch again. That's fair. All right, Beach. Where can people listen to more episodes of the Pilot Podcast? All they have to do is go to our website at thepilotpodcast.com or subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. And if they're interested in even more content, they can head to join.thepilotpodcast.com to become a member of the Pilot Podcast Deep Dive, where we release special episodes every other week, focusing on a single show and really diving in deep to give our opinion on if it's worth watching. You can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at The Pilot Pod. You can send thoughts, feelings, show suggestions for regular episodes and deep dive episodes to askthepilotpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.